Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. You're an employer, you have employees, you have to do what I did. You have to use me, but I'm not selling you something that you might use here or there. It was something you had to have. And I enjoyed you know, the challenges that each new client prospect brought to the table. Welcome to another episode of the PEO Podcast. Today, Andreas is joined by president and co-founder of Quality Business Solutions, David Ebbett. In an industry with increasing mergers and acquisitions, Andreas and David discuss how Quality Business Solutions navigated their own strategic partnership, the role technology played, and how they ensured that their clients were the highest priority. David, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, been looking forward to talking with you. So I, I will start off with my typical question. What is something, David, that nobody in your organizations knows about you? Probably one thing that most people don't know about me, not even within the organization, but even outside the organization, is that I actually went to a rodeo clown training school many, many, many years ago. Didn't end up quite as well as I had hoped. I come out of it with a few broken bones, and I have a whole lot more respect for the people that do that than I ever did before. So I, I got to ask a follow-up question now. Is there video footage of that time available? Fortunately, there is. Uh, yeah, because I would hate to think that I went through something like that, and you can't, you don't have anything to show for it. But yeah, I'll have to remember. I remember exactly what year it was. I do know it was you know, 25 plus years ago when I was in a lot better shape than I am now. Not that I'm in great shape today. Yeah, I just thought it would be something that seemed like it would be fun to do and uh, flew out to Texas. I mean, I actually paid to take this abuse. That's what makes it even worse. <laughs> well, but I think it's, it's these, you know, experiences in life that like sometimes that, that push us a little bit out of our comfort zone, right? And certainly create some some interesting memories. And yeah, it could be something fun to share at uh, one of the Christmas party of your organization, right? So, so, so moving into, into your story, LinkedIn always only tells us uh, so much. Tell us, David, how you got uh, initially started in the PO industry. I started out, my uh, family business was general contractors, just a small, you know, general contractor family business that actually was in a, in a room in our house. That's kind of how it all started. So, you know, after schooling, I didn't actually go to work there directly out of school. But shortly after that, I have two stepbrothers. They were already working with the company, and I decided to come into the company working in the office. And it was actually my stepfather's idea because we did a lot of commercial general contractor work, and a lot of the new companies that we were building didn't have anybody do payroll. So I was just kind of moonlighting, doing payroll on the side, and did that for you know a few years. And then at that point in time is when the staff leasing, I think is what it was called back then, it started out as staff leasing, concept kind of started to come around. That was kind of my initial footstep into it. Obviously, you know, here today, it, it grew into a bigger business than what I thought it was. I ended up leaving the family business to pursue this uh, full time. I'm sure there was an interesting uh, inflection point in your life where there's an established family business, right? That could have been a pathway for you, right? To to join that or like, you know, start your, your own business. Tell us more about that decision-making process and how you came to the conclusion to really invest your time 100% in the PO industry? Well, for anybody that does have, you know, that works in a family business or has brothers and sisters that you try to work together with, it works great. But the problem is you're together all the time. And so then on those special occasions, whether it be Christmas or birthdays or 
whatever the case may be that you get together, you know, you just saw that person either that morning or the day before. So it wasn't, not that it's not special, but it just is not as special as it used to be. So, you know, I, I enjoy, I'm glad I, I did that uh, at that time, but I really did enjoy, you know, the payroll slash PEO, because that's kind of how I started business, because I felt like I was actually providing a service that's invaluable. And I'm, I only say that in the words of like, if you're an employer and you have employees, you have to do what I did. You have to use me but I'm not selling you something that you might use here or there. It was something you had to have. And I enjoyed you know, the challenges that each new client prospect brought to the table. Kind of staying with, 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 with that family theme here, making decisions. Uh, what I learned in our previous conversation is that your wife actually joined you, right, uh, in, in, in starting your organization and, and helped it to scale. Tell us about that and how that dynamic played out. Like I said, starting out with the family, the true family business, when I'm kind of ventured out on my own to start doing the leasing on the, on the outside or off the side and now doing it full time, I was using a software package that we were using within the construction industry to process these payrolls. It did a great job of processing the payrolls and doing it accurately. The problem was when it comes time in like the PEO world, we, we want to consolidate everything for tax returns and year-end reporting and all that. It didn't do that. So all that was still having to be done, you know, mainly by hand. I went to an APO conference and was seeking out, you know, specific software that was in our industry. My now wife was working for one of those companies that I visited. So, you know, we ended up, I went to training up in Cleveland, Ohio to learn how to use the package. We were friends for literally a good five or six years. She had actually come to our office here, helped us train, helped us work through all the stuff. And we just come to find that our work ethics were so similar. We said, hey, if, if the opportunity ever comes that you and I can do something together professionally, that's what we wanted to do. Several years later, actually, it was in the year of 2000, May of 2000, we started the company, Quality Business Solutions. Here again, we're still friends at this point. And, and five, she was still living in Ohio. I'm living in South Carolina. A lot of traveling back and forth. And then five years later, we actually decided, hey, we were able to actually work together and, and, not, and still like each other. That's when we actually got married, created a whole new family business concept uh, again, all over. And how did you decide in these early days to divide and conquer, right? Were there certain things that, you know, certain departments or tasks or responsibilities, you know, she would take on versus you? How, how did you go about that? Well, that was relatively easy. Pam, by, by trade, was a, was a CPA. So she understood the accounting side very well. And, and with that, kind of the compliance kind of came along with that. Her role within the company was primarily finance and compliance. You know, keep, make sure the money kept straight, make sure the filings go out like they're supposed to. Please make sure that every state that we go into, that we're either registered or licensed or whatever we need to do correctly. And then what I did was more on the operations side. So, you know, I was on sales uh, systems, what do the clients need, what products, you know, insurance, uh, workers comp, all those type of things I've dealt with. So yeah, I guess for the two of us at the time, we were both wearing a lot of different hats. And I think that's why it worked so well with us is because what we did was completely different. And, and we didn't even really work next to each other in the office. So we, we came to work together, but we didn't necessarily see each other all day long. Oftentimes in entrepreneurship, you see you know, couples, marriage, couple to work together. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, right? And, and, and that is then obviously a risk for the business, right? The risk for the family. And sometimes it works phenomenally well, right? It seems like that for you and your wife, it, it, it worked out well. You mentioned earlier in our conversation the Sunday barbecue, 
right? And, and, and all of these, these uh, different touch points. Are there any recommendation you can give in terms of separating maybe the marriage life, right? And, and your, your relationship versus the business and how the business is not bleeding into every minute of your family life. I can see that could be a challenge. And maybe, maybe I got a little taste of that early on working in the family business where I saw my parents, you know, working together. So maybe that was part of the success to what we in turn later had. I wish I could say there was a, a, a magic ingredient that you, that you put in there. But I do think the fact that we did do something completely so that like I never dabbled into accounting or compliance. Uh, and on the same turn, she never really dabbled into sales. One of the reasons she never dabbled in sales because she, she hated rejection. So she was always afraid to even try that because she hated rejection. I can see where if you've got couples that are trying to co-mingle duties within a company, I can definitely see where that might create a little tension in the workplace, outside of the workplace. I, I think for us, that would probably be the one, one thing I could maybe put my finger on to say that the reason it works so well is because we did completely have separate duties at the office. So it seems like staying in your swim lane, so to speak, and, and having very clear roles and responsibilities yeah. help with that. You mentioned the success that you had in the industry. Give us a, an idea of, of, of the size now, the organization you're, you're managing. Pre-marriage, uh, our goal was, you know, she was in Ohio, I was in South Carolina. We were going to get started here and actually open an office in Ohio. The South Carolina office just, it really just took off so fast. And so it, it wasn't long after that we realized that South Carolina was going to kind of be our focus. I think organic growth for us was a, was a big piece of success. You know, I never, we never had a sales team. I was the person that, you know, went out and did sales or if, if people called us, I kind of handled that part of it. Clients would tell other friends and other people that they knew about who they were using. You know, it could be that they just got a high insurance renewal or, you know, their workers' comp premium is too high. You never know what the, what the reason may be, but, you know, just conversations would lead people to us. And so, you know, we never turned anybody down. You know, a lot of them out there would say, oh, if you don't have five or 10 employees, you know, we don't deal with any companies that small. We didn't. I mean, you know, if, if you had one employee or two employees or a thousand employees, the only restriction we would have on the PEO side was with our carriers, you know, what type of business they would allow and not allow. Now, on the payroll only side, that didn't matter. So we could really, you know, talk to anybody as far as that's concerned. Here again, you know, I think everybody wants to think that their service is better than everybody else out there. And, and unfortunately, we all kind of do the same thing at the end of the day. So it really does have to boil down to, to the service that you provide. That was kind of, I guess, the secret for us. And, you know, it just, like I said, it just continued to grow and grow. And next thing we know, we look up and, and what we started out with two employees, we ended up with 40 plus employees one day. So, so you mentioned the service as, as one of the key for success, right, for, for, for the company. Is there like a specific decision or a moment that you can remember or restructuring that enabled that success? If you now reflect on all of these years, is there something that comes to mind where it's like, hey, because we implemented this or changed this, it, it was the foundation for the success? We, we always treated our clients to businesses just like it was our own business. And I don't know that this really had anything to do with it or not, but you know, where we live here, you know, certain times of the years, tornadoes are can be frequent. Like where you are, I think snowstorms obviously are a lot more frequent. Uh, you know, I, I'll give you for instance. So we had one larger client, you know, several hundred employees. We had shipped out payroll just like we always did. The delivery company, I don't remember who it was that we were using at the time, their sorting facility in Alabama was completely destroyed by a tornado. 
at the end of the day, all we really want to make sure of is that the uh, employees of our clients are taken care of. If there's ever an issue between they turned in the wrong hours or there was an error on our side with the way the hours were, were input in the system, we worry about that secondly. What we want to do first was make sure that the end employee, the people that are affected, we got them their pay correctly and on time as quickly as possible. So with that particular situation, when the tornado had taken out that facility, you know, the client called, one of the, you know, and here again, obviously it's, you know, it's Friday, Saturday, everything's kind of shutting down. And so we re-ran those payroll checks and literally got in the car. And, you know, that would probably be a four-hour drive one way. But we drove down there and, and met the client to give them those checks so they could get the checks back out. So I think it's just things like that where you you don't go, well, oh, you know, it's five o'clock. You know, we'll have to get back with you Monday, you know, when our office opens. It's really going above and beyond, even if, if certain things are out of your control, right? And, and, and might make it right for the client. So we see a lot of M&A activity in the, in the industry, right? We are, we are seeing a change through private equity coming in over the next last decade. And you entered a strategic partnership, right? So we'd love to hear from your perspective. When did you know now it's the right time? How did you get to that uh, conclusion? Well, you know, going back to what you were talking about earlier about family and working together, right? So my wife has always had this dream. She she always wanted to go into politics because that is where we are completely different. Uh, that's not me whatsoever. But she'd always talked about it for, for years. She had talked about it. And of course, you know, then going back on the M&A, I mean, being in business as long as we have been, you know, obviously we get the four or five or six letters a year and the emails that, you know, hey, if you're interested. But we always pushed them to the side because we had three kids and we thought maybe one day, one of the children, if not all of them, would want to kind of step into business and keep it going. That was our initial thought. The opportunity came where she was asked to to run on a ticket here in South Carolina. And so she accepted it. So, you know, two things happened. I don't have the partner here with me to help look after everything. Now the M&A kind of looks a little more appealing to us because I knew as much as I wanted to think that I could do everything and do it as good as she had done it with me. There was no way. We had grown to such a larger number at this point. So we kind of narrowed it down to a, a couple of people that had contacted us and, you know, interviewed with them, tried to figure out which would be the best fit. Not necessarily for us. I know people think I'm crazy when I say that, but we really wanted to make sure that our clients were going to be taken care of in the same capacity you know, from a service side and from a software side, because we'd invested a lot in changes. Um, to our software, you know, after 22 years, you don't use the off-the-shelf product uh, anymore like you used to. With her leaving the business was was really the point where it's like, now is the time. You know, we had no clue that COVID was looming just a year away. So well, now we know it truly really was <laughs> the time uh, to make that decision. And, uh, and it's been great. You mentioned that one of the things for you selecting the right partner was to ensure that your clients are taken care of, right? Tell us about like what were some other considerations or decision-making criteria that, that you evaluated? And then how did you go about the, the entire process? How did that work? Well, you know, we were, we were introduced to, uh, you know, several firms that were out there, but we knew, number one, we needed to stay, if at all possible, we needed to stay with somebody that was using the same software that we were using. That was going to be a huge plus for us because it would just make things so much easier. Um, but then also the vision, you know, what did they want to see day one versus, you know, year two, three, and four down the road? You know, how, how did they see things progressing? I think there's a lot of 
different companies out there that will all do a great job. And I think everybody has a unique fit in exactly what's the right one. I can't say that one is the only one you should go with. I think in any situation, there's probably four or five great companies out there there that, you know, to choose. But for us, like I said, it was like, I care about, I've been living here my entire life in South Carolina. And now with my wife in politics, you know, people know me or know us a whole lot more than they ever did before. And so I never wanted it to seem like, you know, we, we left to look after us and the clients suffered somehow or another. I, I had pride in everything that we had done. And I wanted to make sure that the day after we had done an M&A with uh, a company, that not only the, the clients and the employees that we were servicing after all these years, but also the employees that worked here, you know, in our office were taken care of. It, it worked out really well. They didn't really, they didn't want to change a thing. You know, they left the, the, the company name stayed just like it was. The location stayed like it was. And the employees stayed like they were. It really, to me, I kind of equated it to, to having a very big bullpen in baseball terms. You know, I went from having a great team to put on the field to now I've got this very deep bullpen of talent that I can reach out to across the country. And it just really has given me even a, another level of confidence. I've always felt like I had good confidence in what we did. But now I have a much broader, deeper level of confidence. If somebody asks me a question that says, you know, we, we need, like yesterday I had a client or a prospect contact me and they, they said they need heavy HR. Well, in the past, that would have been something that I would have probably said, okay, I need to dig into a little bit more. What, what in your terms is, is heavy HR? But now I, I don't worry about that because I know that we can give them, you know, the easiest level of, you know, just bringing on an employee or terminating an employee up to the most complex uh, situations. Uh, and trust me, we see a lot of complex situations uh, in the HR world uh, after 22 years. You mentioned that was interesting to hear. One of the criteria that were important for you was the same technology platform. Did that come from a desire for the for your clients not to have to switch and, and things are staying the same? Was this to avoid a potential massive migration, right? That would have occupied your team for the next couple of years, right? Or is there another reason maybe that that I'm not even considering right now? I think there were several reasons, but primarily it was, uh, you know, like I said, we had we had clients that had as little as two or three employees, but we had had one particular client that started with us with, I think, 24,000 employees. And today, you know, they're approximately nine or 10 years later, they're at about 57,000 employees. They had invested so much in amending or changing things about the software that we were on. I mean, literally, we had millions of dollars of upgrades and customization that they had built in there that if we had said, hey, we're moving to company Y, and oh, by the way, everything that we have done in the past, you know, we're going to have to start over with. I know they would have been gone. And, 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 you know, that's one way to look at it. But number two, then I would never leave anybody just hanging like that. For them to put in the years and the money into something like that, that was, like I said earlier, that was one of the things that really come first in our thought process is how do we do this where our clients are not impacted severely? You know, obviously, we have to look after ourselves and our family, but that for us came second. You know, in the, in the tradition, you mentioned that not a whole lot of change in terms of the location, your employees are still there. Tell us a little bit about the control that you personally and, you know, kind of your management team of the entities still have. You know, when they came in, we had, like I said, we had about 40 plus employees that, you know, floated right around that number. 
and we were acquisition number 11. That was three years ago. I think today we're at about number 40 um, within, the, within the organization. There was about, I want to say, a good 10 or 15% of our people have now been elevated into senior management positions within what I call the mother company. And so I really thought, I don't know that I can say that Pam and I did just a great job of hiring and training people, but uh, they did recognize that uh, a lot of our people had a lot of knowledge and put them into higher leadership positions. They used a term that I'd never heard before, but it makes sense. And, and I, I continue to use it today is, you know, what they didn't want to do is they didn't want to change what they called client facing people. So any of our employees that had direct contact with our clients on the outside, they didn't want to mess with because they wanted to keep that relationship. What we wanted our clients to see was an improvement in maybe the benefit offerings or maybe on technology, but we didn't want to see them going through the revolving door of having to learn. Now your person is going to be you know, Nancy instead of Betty. So those were some of the key factors really for us is that they, they saw the need to make sure that the clients were taken care of and not put them through a whole lot of hassle at the same time. At the end of the day, we all like to do business with people that we like, right? So that, that consistency, I'm, I'm sure, was, was very helpful. You mentioned that there were career opportunities as well for your team, right? Where they can now grow in their career. What were some other tangible advantages or assets now that your client got through the partnership? As in most businesses and most models, obviously size and scalability does sometimes play a factor in pricing, you know, depending on, you know, what industry you're talking about. We went from, you know, having the number of employees and premium for our insurance products, you know, being at, at one level. <clears throat> We're now moving that into a platform where you've got, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of others. It did bring our pricing down on certain things. You know, technology was one thing that, uh, you know, by, by consolidating and bringing all these together with larger numbers, uh, you know, scalability, it just, it just brings the price down, on, you know, per employee per se. Actually, our profitability actually went up day one because our pricing actually went down. And then like anything else, you know, over, over time, you know, pricing does kind of technology costs continue to increase, you know, here or there, insurance kind of goes up. But the good thing is we dropped down so much to begin with, we still haven't, and we were three years in, and we still haven't gone up on pricing. Possible that, you know, they could have seen a price increase over technology a year ago. But because we were able to you know, gain so much of that at the uh, at the acquisition, you know, our clients aren't seeing you know changing in pricing like you are in some industries out there today. That is fascinating. So, so through the economic of scale, right? You 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 have you have leverage a better cost structure. Can you quantify? I assume there were then two effects to that, right? One is what you alluded to that you know for the clients maybe you didn't have to increase the price as much right as we are now all seeing with the with the inflation right so i'm wondering what that did to your retention rate or churn right of, of the existing clients and then the other part of that question would be now that you might be able to price things a little bit more aggressively how did that affect the conversion rate right of the clients that, that you had in the in the funnel in terms of new client acquisition yeah retention's always been a key element for me i always want to say i'm in the high 90 percent of retention and and i think we 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 have been you know most of the time any clients that that do leave us for the most part 
they closed. They just shut down, you know, back when, uh, you know, when Obamacare come into play. You know, that was a time where we probably saw our number go down more than it normally was. But it was where we had businesses that the owners were older. <clears throat> they were right there on that line of having to now. Now we've got to do something that we really didn't want to have to do. And they just decided, hey, now's the time that we're going to hang the hat up. So we, you know, we saw a little bit right there. But on the other hand, we picked up a couple because now they were going to have to do something that they had never done in the past. So, you know, where you've got something that you don't like and it hurts you. On the other hand, it creates opportunity because now you've got all these new laws and regulations come into play. It's just pushed these potential clients you've been working with over the edge. And now they say like, okay, I'm done with me doing this at the kitchen table. You know, after we serve dinner, we're going to outsource this to another company. But the pricing today, I think we're still kind of enjoying the scalability, as you put it. I think that is a good way of looking at it. You know, I've always looked at it this way. I would rather have 10 clients making a very, just a fair number on it, than me to go out there and have one or two clients charging a lot of money for them. I think having 100 clients that you're making a fair profit number per se on there is much easier just to continue doing that than to go out there and try to hit a home run, you know, with one large client. I mean, even with our largest client and us with, you know, 57,000 employees, most people would look at what we, our charge annually is per head. There's absolutely no way. The scalability of size does play a factor in that large and small. Yeah. And certainly like, you know, as, as your client portfolio now, like, you know, if you have one large client that now represents 30, 40 or more percent of your revenue, there's risk with that. David, I want to go back to the conversation that we actually had pr previously and, and your passion for not necessarily always solving problems with more people, but with technology. What have you seen over the last 25 years, or even maybe in the last five years, right? What were the biggest changes in technology that you have seen that were able to provide efficiency gains to your team? Hands down, it would have to be probably the electronic onboarding and timekeeping. Those are the biggest changes that I've seen since we started the company 22 years ago. Um, and today, you know, there was there was the day where the software would create a timesheet and you would send it back in the payroll packet that the client would in turn write the hours down on and fax it to you. You know, there's a term you haven't seen in a while, right? Faxing something. And then, you know, all of our all of our payroll admins were actually manually keying payroll in. Fast forward to today, you know, faxing is gone, scanning is in. Most everybody is importing time, whether it's from a timekeeping device or from some type of, you know, spreadsheet. The actual manual side of keying time in is gone. And then the onboarding has probably been the, the one single largest improvement that most of our clients just absolutely love. Because I think everybody likes the fact that you're not killing a ton of trees every day with the amount of paper that we go through. I would hate to think of the size of the building we'd have to have today if we still kept paper copies of not only applications, but we used to keep a copy of every payroll record that we went out because if the client called us, you know, back in the day, the software wasn't so sophisticated that you could just, oh, let me just pull you up in the system. I mean, I literally, I had to pull the paperwork up and flip through and find what they were looking for to solve a problem. You know, that's been good on, on a couple of fronts is the, uh, the technology. Now, on, on the flip side of that, then you open the door for fraud and identity problems. So, you know, where you solve a problem here, now you got to really work extra hard to make sure that that doesn't create a bigger problem 
for you on the backside. Let me ask you two questions here. The, the overarching theme I'm, I'm seeing is like, how can you essentially with technology now remove manual processes, right? Whether it's keying in data, you know, taking the facts or whatnot. My first question is, out of all the clients that you're having, have all of them embraced and switched to the new automated ways of, of doing things electronically? Or are there still a couple of clients where you made the exception, say like, hey, fax number is now not publicized anymore, but you know, it still works as, as, a, as a backup here? Oh, absolutely. You, you always have a few that are old school or they're very, very small. And it's like, look, it's going to take me longer to learn how to do this. Then just let me let me continue doing it the way that I was doing it before. And it's a lot of it's just people are afraid of change. If you can ever get convinced them to like, hey, just just take a look at it. Typically, once they take a look at it, then probably another 50 percent of those holdouts will go, wow, that was that's not that bad. I'll do it. But yes, absolutely. We still have people that send in a paper application uh, to us. You know, we get what we need out of it uh, or we'll scan what we don't you know, want to destroy. And then we securely get rid of uh, everything after that. That here again, that goes back to the service where I've had people that literally, uh, you know, contractors, I guess, is a good one looking at it. You know, where the the owner of the company, you know, he just wants to pick up the phone and call me on Thursday night and rattle off the names and, and the hours that each person worked. And to him, that was a big deal. That was a service that he really wanted. As much as we try to put everybody in one lane, you always have a few stragglers that go over here and we will continue to work with them. Oftentimes in life, you can change from the worst thing in the world to the best thing. People still don't like the change. So with that, David, what kind of incentives did you put in place for people to adopt the new methodology? So that, that's, that's my first part of the question, right? Any, any tricks, any uh, recommendations you, you can provide us with? And then the second one I would be curious about is for new clients that are coming on board. Are you still offering some of these old processes in quotes? Or are you saying, hey, for every new client, you got to, here's how we are doing things now so that like you're moving forward, you're not making the problem bigger? For clients that have been with us or were, were on our systems already, yeah, that was a big problem because uh, nobody wanted to be the first. I don't like to be the first to try something new. You brought up a good point. I forgot about it until you mentioned that. You know, back when this stuff came out, when uh, electronic onboarding came out and the electronic timekeeping all came out, and there still is a cost with the timekeeping, but, you know, electronic onboarding, there was a fee to do that. So, you know, most people go like, why now should I pay you $2 to hire somebody when I can just send you the paper app and it won't cost me anything? You know, we had to look at it and go, well, you know, it's going to reduce the amount of labor, the manual time that our people have in putting that in. So in the early days, when we were trying to get people to look at it and try it, you know, we would either give them those services for no charge, or we would even give them a credit of the admin fee, or, you know, a certain credit on the admin fee to just, you know, give it a try uh, and let us see what we could do. And like I said, that worked for probably a good 90% of the people out there. Uh, now, fast forward to today, we don't even give that, that much of an option anymore. You know, when new clients come on board, it's like, Hey, if you've got it, if you're currently using a time and attendance system, great. Give us the information. We'll just bring that in. But if not, you know, you can put it in an Excel spreadsheet. You know, here's our template, you know, fill this out. Either way now, we're not really having to key it as much. But there probably are still a few in there where they're just so small that literally it would take us so much longer to train them and get them up to speed than it does each week to just knock it out and move on. But yeah, we don't bring up the old 
way of doing things to new clients. I'm sure it's a balance, right? Because you, we started our, our conversation with how important the clients were. And at one point, you made a promise to them just to you know, force a change on them. It's certainly difficult by providing certain incentives by now having a different service model moving forward and, and, and having it more, more standardized. Um, that is certainly an interesting concept. I'm curious, David, for you, how did you learn throughout all those years? It sounds like your, your wife was very important with her knowledge, right? And what, what she brought to the company and you had a partner there. What were some other inspirational things for you, whether it's like, you know, organizations, peer groups, conferences, the right books, podcasts, what are things that you can recommend to our audience here? You know, I was very fortunate that my wife, you know, worked for, and this goes back you know, 20 years or, you know, 22 plus years, you know, she worked for at the time, the leading PEO software company, you know, there wasn't a, there was a handful of them out there. And so she was a trainer. So, you know, they would sell the software to, to a client and then she would in turn, you know, fly all over the country and help them set it up, train them how to use it and move on. And so probably the, the, the biggest thing for us, you know, that we're really fortunate on, we, we have a network of so many people that we know over the years that Pam had met because she traveled in and out of their business and helped them set them up on software. You know, when we went to bring on our largest client, you know, that's what I did. I picked up the phone and called. You know, our industry is very small in the sense when you look at everybody knows somebody like, you know, you can have a conversation and it's like the six degrees or 12 degrees of Kevin Bacon. It seems like, you know, everybody knows somebody else really quickly. And I literally was on the phone calling people because I didn't know how to price a client that big when they first came on board. Being uh, involved in the associations, you know, Napio and, and Pace, we try to go to as many of those events as we possibly can, more so for the networking. Because I, I look to gain as much of the questions I'm looking for answers for from individuals that are in the industry, even more so than the people they bring in to speak. Because, you know, I want to talk to the people that are in the trenches, you know, literally doing the work. So obviously, I would definitely suggest getting involved in the associations that, that our industry has out there to offer. And even though we do compete with each other, uh, you know, across the country. There's so much business out there. We all get along very well together. And so we do sometimes even call our competition. And, uh, you know, we talk to we talk to other PEOs all the time. What, what's the best way to connect with you and reach out? Definitely find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that would probably be the easiest way. And, and after our call, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to update, make sure all my numbers and my email addresses and everything are, are currently up to date. We've had this business for 22 years and I was doing it prior to that. Anything I can do, uh, but I'll be glad. I mean, we've worked through several software companies over the years and numerous insurance companies over the years, and that number just keeps going up. I don't know how a new company today, if you just started and said, hey, I'm just going to open a PEO and you have no you know, no business, I don't know how you do it, but I'll be glad to, to, to give what, what I've learned over the years if it would help somebody. Yeah, I want to I wanna thank you for, for that offer, right? To, to give back to the community, give back to people that might go through similar challenges. Great to have you on the show today. Thank, thank you so much for your time. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.